guys back there. All right, by the end of this year, you're going you're gonna to be so tired of heroes and that nonsense. You're just, I don't know, you just got to keep coming. So, so far, we have been uh, starting this concept of heroes looking at it. Uh, we began two weeks ago by looking at uh, why people are, are drawn to the uh, uh, superhero. What is it about them that, that draws them? Uh, last week, though, we talked about what it is that makes a hero. And so let's put, uh, we'll put up what we concluded with there on the screen. And we noticed that a hero rescues, um, a hero protects, and a hero serves. So a hero is one that when they see someone in danger, they will go out even at risk to themselves, put themselves on the line in order to save someone else. Uh, a hero protects is that when danger comes advancing, they are willing to stand with the intended target to defend them. Uh, they guard, they protect. And ultimately, when there isn't someone to rescue, when there isn't someone to protect, a hero finds himself finding opportunities and places where he can serve, where he can serve. Now, we connected this. One of the, one of the reasons we're talking about this is because when you look at Jesus, Jesus, by definition, by these definitions, is a hero, right? He he uh, rescued us. He saw us in a world that was filled with sin, and he didn't sit in heaven and just wait for us to come back to him or find our ways to him. He stepped down out of heaven, and he came to us, grabbed a hold of us. He rescued us in, when we uh, were incapable of being saved. A, Jesus is also a protector. He is a hero in that he protects. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He defends us. He, he stands with us. He takes the penalty that is ours. So even the mistakes that we made, he took them all when he took our sins upon him, upon the cross. He protected us, and ultimately he serves us even today when he said, he said, the Son of Man does not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. Um, the whole concept there is he was trying to teach us. And then he specifically goes on and he says, now whoever wants to be the greatest among you must become the least, must become the servant of all. So the one that is the greatest is the one that serves. And we recognize that in our culture. A hero is someone who, who serves. They protect and they rescue. Well, in talking about the heroes last week, uh, we considered a lot of the heroes that are around us, and it was fair to do so. We talked about, we mentioned the imagery of, uh, you know, the rescuer, the protector, the server. You have in your mind, you've got the military that pops up. You have the police that pop up. You have the firefighters that pop up. Maybe you've got EMT that pops up. You've got disaster relief people. All of those images can start jumping up in your mind when you start thinking about a hero rescues, protects, and serves. And that's, that's great. But all of those heroes are natural heroes. What do I mean by natural hero? They are heroes that uh, rescue us from uh, natural dangers. They are heroes that protect us from natural dangers. And they are heroes who serve our natural needs. Uh, a firefighter... Fights fire. That's the, it's right there in the name. It, it, fire is a natural thing, and they protect, and they rescue, and they serve uh, in that capacity. Now, we as Christians also are called to be natural heroes. Okay, so in the book of James, chapter two, James, Jesus's brother, says this, verses fifteen to sixteen. He says, "If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them," 
go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body? What good is that? What good is that? So James right there is recognizing that, you know what, us as Christians, man, what we are called to do is not simply to be the people who are, 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 are well, our thoughts and prayers kind of people. He's looking and saying, if you see a need, it is your job to step in and to meet that need. If there is a need around you, what, what good are your words if there are not actions that are backing it up? So James is telling us Jesus expects us to be a meter Uh, to meet the natural needs of those around us, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit those in prison, to visit those who are sick, on and on and on. And so in those ways, yes, we as Christians are to be heroes. But the imagery of a policeman, fireman, military, EMT, those kinds of things, those are not the imageries that I chose to use on on the banners, right? No, the imagery are superheroes. Now, why, why is it super? Why are we focusing? Why, why are we talking about imaginary superheroes instead of dealing with these natural heroes? Well, the reality is, and what we have to realize, is that you and I are not called to be merely natural heroes. We are called, equipped, and empowered to be supernatural heroes. The heroes that you think of when we start talking about superheroes is exactly the image that you and I should have in our minds of what it is we are supposed to be. If we are not supernatural heroes, then we are not the heroes that God intends us to be. We are not the heroes that Jesus demonstrated in his life that he was. And it is that same Jesus who looked at us, and what did he say? He said, those who believe in me will do what I have been doing, but he doesn't leave it there. He says, they will do even Greater things than these. So when we look at Jesus and we see supernatural things that are happening through him, Jesus says, those who believe will be doing that, but you know what? No, he qualifies it. You're going to do greater things than I've done. So you and I, we need to get in our head that the kind of heroes that we are called to be are literal, really, truthfully, superheroes. In this world, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, Paul says this. He says, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And after having done all, to stand. No, we are not merely called to be natural heroes. I mean, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's hilarious how, how, how much from comics and, and the superhero mythology could, could come straight out of here. I mean, this guy, what is Paul saying? He's saying, you know, put on the full armor of God. He's saying it's time to be Iron Man, right? Put on the armor of God so that you can face these cosmic forces. I mean, what did he say? Think about that for a second. We do not fight against flesh and blood. 
There is not a person, not one. I don't care how much they hate me. I don't care how much they try to hurt me. There is not a person who is my enemy. That's what Paul is saying. People are not our enemy. Even when they're cruel and mean, they're not the enemy. Never are they the enemy. The enemy are the, and I love his wording, the cosmic forces of evil. That just, I mean, that sound, does that not sound like out of a superhero movie? In a world filled with cosmic forces of evil, one man was willing to stand. That's, that's what he's saying. I mean, our battle, the one that we are called to, it's not against the people. Someone insults us, it's not to smack them back. It's not to put them in their place. They aren't the enemy. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the principalities, the authorities, and the cosmic forces in this dark world. That is our battle. Now, I don't know about you. I am holy, holy and completely insufficient to do that. And maybe you think that too. You go, man, that's, that's, a, that's a big task. How, how, how do I do that? And once again, we go back to the superhero stories. Think about them. Mild-mannered, wise-cracking teenager Peter Parker String bean teenager walking along. What happens to him? He gets bitten by an irradiated spider. I've been bit by spiders. His was irradiated. All of a sudden, once he's bit, he's able to climb up walls. He's got super strength. He's able to jump around, shoot webs. The guy's going nuts. Somehow, when he's bit by the spider, I'm telling you, man, this is so weird to be talking comics when I'm up here in the pulpit. That is so weird feeling. But, right, he's, he's bit. So somehow, when he's bit by this spider, he, he is inundated with the powers of that spider. And now he is something more than natural. He is supernatural. He's a superhero. Bruce Banner. Mild, everyone's mild-mannered, by the way. Mild-mannered scientist. Gets inundated with gamma rays. The rays meld with his DNA and transform him into a ginormous green hulk. Something outside of him inundates him, transforms him, and changes him into... The superhero. That is the story over and over and over and over and over again. An insufficient person who would be incapable to meet the tasks that they're going to face somehow receives something externally that changes fundamentally who they are. What does that sound like? And that comes straight out of the Bible. You and I. Paul tells us that when we accept Christ, we are transformed, we are changed. The old is gone, the new has come. We are born again over and over. He uses these words that that which was is no longer. Now we are something new and that something new is supernatural. By its very makeup, it is supernatural. You see, you and I, 
We have been anointed. We have been baptized. We have been filled. We have been sealed. And we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. I am not Nathan Slaughter, mild-mannered moron. I am Nathan Slaughter, Holy Spirit-empowered moron. I'm different. I am super. Not because of me, but because of the one who has been placed inside of me. Because the one who has, his power has transformed me, has changed me. And I am now supernatural. Let's look at Romans 8, 9. Paul says this, he says this to you. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. I'm going to re-say that using these words that we're using. You, however, are not of the natural. You're not of the flesh. You're not of the world. You are now supernatural. You are now of the Spirit. If the Spirit lives in you. But if the Spirit is not in you, anyone who is not supernatural does not belong to God. So I ask you this morning, are you supernatural? Because Paul here makes it very clear. You are if the Spirit is in you. If you are not, it is because you do not belong to God yet. That's kind of a blunt statement. I apologize for that, but that's just, that's, that's what he's saying. So let's look at Mark 16, right? Verse 15 to 16. This is uh, Mark's great commission. It's a little different than uh, the Matthew one, and, uh, but here's how he records it. G- and he, that is Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now he does not, he's talking to the 12. He doesn't say, these are the signs that are going to follow you specifically. He doesn't say these are the signs that are going to follow those you convert. He says these are the signs that are going to accompany all who believe. They are going to be supernatural. They are going to do things they could not do before. So this morning I wanted to look at these supernatural traits that are supposed to be in us. And the first one is, he says, those who believe in me will cast out demons. Whereas before Christ, I was wholly and completely insufficient to do anything. I was made in the order of creation lower than the angels, right? Because when Christ came and became a man, he became as one lower than the angels, it says. That's what we were. 
But when I became a Christian, when I became reborn, when I became something different, I became something supernatural. I am merged, melded with the Holy Spirit that is within me. And now Paul tells us, he looks at us and he says, do you not understand that you are the judge of angels now? You are going to judge the... You have moved from beneath the angels to beneath God. And you will judge all of creation. Man, that is some crazy authority. So whereas before we were subject to everything, now the authority has been placed within us that we now are capable and able to demand and command the darkness in this world. You have that authority. You have that power. Now by the power of... See, before Christ was in me, I was, a, I was a slave of sin. I did what it told me to. And I fought and I fought and I lost. But now as a Christian, I am not its slave. Do I, do I fall back into old patterns sometimes? You better believe it. But it does not have power over me anymore. I do not have to obey it. But beyond that, I actually now have the authority to cast out the darkness in others. Do you know that? You can pray against the darkness in others. In Ephesians 5, 8 to 11, Paul says this. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. That's a transformation right there, right? Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Casting, the casting out of demons. Look, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I, know, I know for a fact we've got the authority. I have the authority to speak against the darkness. i got no problem with that. But expanding upon this, when we look at this passage in Ephesians, what is he saying? He's saying the supernatural power that is in us to cast out the darkness. It is not us. It is the light of Christ that is now in us. We have been transformed from darkness to light. The nature of light is that light, when when it enters into the presence of darkness, it destroys it, it eradicates it, it moves it, not because the light goes, hocus pocus darkness, get out of here, just because light removes it. You have the power. By this scripture, what it's saying is you have the power just by the virtue of doing good deeds, just by speaking goodness, just by doing what Christ has called you to. You don't have to preach the gospel to cast out the darkness. If you are living like Jesus, that will cast it out. That's all. That will draw, and, and, and you may say, well, but man, that may offend people. You're, yeah, I get it. Paul tells us you can't stop that. 
He says, to those who are perishing, we are the aroma of death. We are the reminder that their destination is fire. And they run from us because the darkness must either flee or be destroyed. But it also says that to those who are being saved, to those whom the Father is calling, we are the aroma of life. We are a sweet savor that draws them. And they can't be drawn unless it's by the light. You turn on your lights outside, there are animals that will run. But there are also animals that will come to it. You have the authority. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm talking like supernatural crazy. You watch on the movie things. You have the authority to cast out demons. I got that. But bigger than that, a life lived in Christ, a life shining the light is casting them out. It is changing those around us. The next one was, after cast out demons, was speak in new tongues. Now, in the scriptures, there is, there is a... a specific, um, a couple of different examples. Actually, there's one of uh, when they spoke in tongues, they spoke uh, different languages. Like at Pentecost, they stood up and they spoke and, 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 the, and, and they were speaking in foreign languages that they had not studied, they did not know. But Paul also talks about how in his prayers at times that he was speaking in a, uh, uh, an angelic language. Here's what I want to talk, and those, thing, those things are real. But not everybody does. I mean, not, even Paul says, that's, not everybody does those things. So if the believers speak in new tongues, what is he talking about here if it isn't only that? Well, to me, what you have is you and I, each one of us, have been given a new, a pure, eternal, spiritual language that we speak that supersedes words and syllables and, and vocabulary. It is the language, as Jesus would teach, it is the language of blessing, not cursing. It is the language of building up and not tearing down. It is the language of encouragement and not insult. See, this world teaches us that the way we get ahead, the way we advance, is by tearing other people down to where we are. So the language of this world whether it's English or Chinese, doesn't matter. It's all one. It's all the same language. The words sound different. It's all the same language. The language we have been given is one that is completely different. You, your words, have the God-given authority to fundamentally change the reality of others. Then you may sit there and go, wait, what are you talking How many of you can remember the harsh words somewhere in your childhood? If you, if you closed your eyes and I told you to picture something harsh that someone said to you, every one of us could pull it up instant. We'd find one instant. It cut us, it hurt us, it tore us down a little bit. Those words had the power to shape our reality. I was bullied as a kid all my life. I mean, all my life throughout school. I still have the sense inside of me, the voice, all those voices that keep going, you're worthless, you're useless, no one cares. They're permanent, they are permanently in there. 
Our language does the opposite. We do not tear it down, we bless. We do not curse. We build up, we encourage. We make people better. Or at least we're supposed to. You see, a Chinese Christian speaking in Mandarin, a blessing over someone, is speaking the exact same language as I am blessing someone in English. It's a different language. It is a language that builds up. It encourages. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion. Look at the last line. That it may give grace to those who hear. If you've ever wondered, do your words matter? Do they actually gain power? Your words can impart grace. The grace of God can be given, showered on people by your words. Not just, not just if someone's, you know, we look and we think, oh, if someone's hungry and I give them something, that, that was gracious, that's grace, and, and they'll feel the grace of God. Or if someone's harmed me and I forgive them, they'll feel the grace of God. Listen, when you encourage someone, just encourage them. You are showering them with grace. That's a superpower, man. That, 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 that's, that's not even a joke. How powerful that is. Oh, I missed this first service. I forgot. I wrote this down. Look at... Uh, Look at those words that are there. Does he say, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth? He doesn't. No, no, you're not supposed to. Don't, don't start being like, hot dog, we're cursing. No. It is a talk that corrupts the person that hears. The talk, the words, your speech will corrupt people or it will build people do you see do you see in this passage the power in your words to destroy or to create he's not you're not supposed to say bad words but it is it isn't the bad words that he's worried about he's worried about the corrupting influence the corrupting power of our words If I were to look at someone and say, go to hell. What offends more that I used a word in a not-so-nice context or that I told someone else they should consider themselves worthy of eternal fire. It's not the corrupt speech. It's the corrupting nature of the speech. It's how it destroys that matters. Next one. After speaking in new tongues, he says, they will pick up serpents. Now, I don't know about you. My, I don't know. My kids, they find serpents. Yeah, snakes. And I'm like, yuck. 
I, I was never that kid. Snakes are disgusting. I don't want to touch them. And, and people are like, oh, if they're not poisonous, it doesn't matter. They have teeth. They bite. I, I, don't, I don't want to mess with them. don't want to play with them. They're slimy. They're gross. I don't want to. Yuck. Okay. But what he is saying in this passage is that you and I, we will demonstrate a complete lack of fear. We will handle the serpents. Now, what does he mean by serpents? He's not talking about we as Christians are going to sit in here and dance with snakes. I know that there's groups that do that. I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that. I mean, who is the serpent? Go to Genesis, go to Revelation. Beginning of the book, end of the book. The great serpent is Satan. He's the great, he's the great serpent. Jesus is saying, those who believe in me, they will no longer fear the enemy. They will not fear what he can do to them. He can, he, they do not fear what man can do. We will not fear. We will not have anywhere in this world, we will not be told that we cannot go there. We will not be told that we don't belong anywhere because where we go, the light of God goes and it eradicates the darkness. If we have the light of God, why are we not going to the darkest places in this world? You don't put another light in a well-lit room. You go and put it in the dark room. So we find ourselves unafraid, unashamed. Let the threat stand against us, right? Paul talks about being, being uh, persecuted but, in, but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. We're not afraid. I am not afraid of the enemy. He can do nothing to me. Second Timothy 1.7, I like this. For God gave us the spirit, not, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, and love, and self-control. We let, we let fear control way too much of what we do. We just do. Fear of, fear of failure is probably one of the greatest ones. It's probably one of the reasons that Christians are, are, are we're not as effective as we could because we are terrified. We're, we're terrified that we're going to misrepresent Jesus. We're terrified that we're not up to the task. We're terrified that people are going to uh, uh, malign us or, or degrade us or that people are going to cast us aside. And you know what? In the end, who cares? Why are we afraid of any of it? No, we have a spirit of power love, and self-control. All right, I got to move. Next one. It says that we will drink poison unharmed. Same snake-waving churches will give you, they hand out with communion a little arsenic too. You can do that if you, there's some in Kentucky, go on vacation. That's not what he's talking about. Now, there may be instances where that happens. We see that with, with, with I mean, Paul was bit by a serpent. I mean, you have some literal things here. I get that. There are some literal things. But this is not saying that those who believe we're all going to be running around uh, holding snakes and drinking poison. What is he talking about? I want you to understand uh, this in a much broader context. We are surrounded by, the, by spiritual poison all of the time. The corrupting talk of other people. 
We are poisoned by hateful or untrue words. We are poisoned by gossip. We are insulted. We are hurt. We are assaulted. We are degraded. We are maligned. We have the world that comes against us, and it just wants to poison our spirits. What does poison do? The more you add over time, it eats away at your existence until there's nothing left. That is what Satan wants to do. He wants to tear you down. He wants to use the hurts and the angers and the pains that other people afflict on you. And he wants them to burden you and tear you down and whittle away all of your spiritual life and joy. And without Christ, what's the answer? We hate it. We hate feeling this poison. We know it. Every human being knows this this poison that is all around us. Because uh, if someone insults me, what do I do? Without Christ, what do I do back? I, 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 I hurt them back. Now, if you want to understand that this is what he's talking about, we have a phrase. And it comes from this. If someone insults you, if someone talks bad behind your back about you, We all want to do it to them. And we have a phrase for it. Let's give them a taste of their own medicine. Let's give them a taste of their own medicine. What's that saying? That that phrase recognizes that what they gave us wasn't medicine. It was poison. So we're saying let's give them a taste of their own medicine. Let's pollute their life the way they pollute us. And the reason we do that is because we think if, if someone who's rude to us, we're rude to them, maybe they'll stop. Has that ever worked for anyone? It has never worked for me. It never stops them. So even if I fight back, I, I'm still harmed. Or have I, I fought back and, and I've never felt better about myself. I've never, I've never gotten vengeance and felt better in my life, ever. That whole remains. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that we are unaffected. We are unharmed by the poison of the world. Listen, oh my goodness, I got lots of people that don't like me. Tons of them. You do too, by the way. There are people that hate your guts. And that's okay. Who ca- I mean, who cares? See, I as a Christian know that my value and my worth comes from Him. He's given me value. And so whether you appreciate it or not is completely irrelevant. My kids have value because they are my kids. And if you don't like my kids, see ya. Okay? And I'm telling you right now, I am a child of God. You are a child of God. And if someone doesn't like it, see ya. There is nothing... No words, if you are truly centered in Christ, truly His child. Why why would I ever care? Look, this world calls me homophobe, bigot. They got all kinds of hateful names, and they keep coming up with more and more. Now I'm Hitler and a Nazi and all these things. Okay, great. I'm all these things. And they keep... You know why they have to keep going more and more extreme? Because a real Christian goes, okay, I'm not any of those things. I'm a child of God. I'm not defined by any words that anyone, any labels that anyone puts on me. 
I don't care what names you call me. It will not change me. I'm going to be unaffected. You see, I'm going to be who God called me to be, not what you think I should be, whether you appreciate it or not. You and I, that's the way we're supposed to be. Jesus, Jesus did not worry about, about uh, whether people liked what he was doing or not. He did it. And they were on board or they walked away. Look, here's what uh, uh, Romans says. Romans 12, uh, verses 14 and 21 says, Bless those, and this is where Jesus is saying, Listen, you have to be unaffected. Bless those who persecute you. you got to be un- If someone's persecuting you, don't let it change you. If you are a person that blesses, if God has asked you to bless people, then bless people. It doesn't matter what they're doing to you. We are separate from their actions. Our actions, our identity is separate from people's actions and opinions of us. So when they persecute us, we're going to bless them. We're not going to curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Do not uh, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never, ever be wise in your own sight. If possible, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Here's the key. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that sums it up right there. The poison that the world throws at me will not harm me, will not change me. I'm going to do good because that's who I am. That's who he's made me to be. Listen, if, someone's, if someone else's actions are going to determine my actions, should it be the sacrifice of Jesus? The self-sacrifice of Jesus on my behalf that I follow, is that the thing that was done for me that should motivate my actions or the insults of others? Because if someone insults me, I feel like I need to insult them back. All I have to do is remind myself, he sacrificed himself for me when I was insulting him and rebelling against him. So you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow his example, not your example. So learn. Don't let the poison of this world affect you. We're not going to be changed. last one that was there was this. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. This one doesn't have to be explained that much. Healing takes so many different forms. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, If you are of Christ, you have the power to heal. Is any of you sick? Call the elders. They will pray over you. And the sick person will be made well. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. These aren't optional. These are things we're told to do. It's to be expected. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Where two or more agree, he will act on our behalf. 
our job should be to make, to be the agent of helping people become whole in whatever they need. To help them find what they're missing. To help reconcile the hurting with God. So all of this is just to say, look, three weeks has been to point out Humanity is looking for something super. They're looking for heroes, but they're looking for supernatural heroes. Christ was that supernatural hero. The early church drew thousands quickly because it was supernatural. And all the passages we've looked at these past few weeks have indicated from the words of Christ, from Paul, from James, from Peter, that Those who believe in Him will be supernatural. And so this morning, I just leave us with this question to ponder. Am I supernatural? Am I? Either way, it's time for us to step up to that call. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of...